0: morning south fellowship That was awesome wasn't it Man it's good to be together and Worship. If you're new with us, we're in a a seven week series that we're doing called Ethos. And what we've been doing is looking at the values and dreams and hopes that we have together as a community of faith as we seek to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And we have um, two more weeks this week and next week. This week we're going to be talking about renewal. Next week we're going to be talking about roots. And it just so happens to be Memorial Day weekend. So, Thank you, Lord, for that, and uh, we hope that you'll be back next week for that last in our, in our series called Ethos. Uh, a few weeks back, my wife took our two boys to a mother-son event, and so I got the chance to take my daughter out for a little daddy-daughter date, and uh, we went out to dinner together, and then we came back to the house and watched a movie of her choice, and she picked The Newer Beauty and the Beast. And so we were watching it, having a great time together, and then about three-quarters of the way through the movie, um, all the boys and Kelly came back home, and so we stopped the movie, and everybody went to bed, and we would pick it up for the next day. But we stopped it at this like very um, tension-filled moment where Belle had um, gone, um, the beast had said to Belle, you're allowed to go and try to help your father, and he released her from the captivity that she was in. And so you have Belle, who's free, and then the Beast, who it seems like is just going to go on and keep living as the Beast for the rest of his existence. And I thought, what a, what a terrible story that would have been if that's where the movie ended. If the movie ended with Belle being freed, and she's happy to go and do what she gets to do, and back to her normal life, and, and the Beast is still the beast. Like, there's something in us that wants the beast to be redeemed, isn't there? And there's a reason that the movie doesn't end in that place. And what I started to realize is if you end a story in the wrong place, you often get the wrong sort of meta-narrative of what's going on. And I think a lot of us have ended the gospel story in the wrong place, I think most of us, when we talk about what God is up to and has been up to, we have a a two-part story in our mind. We have the the reality in our mind that, that there's been a fall and that sin has entered the world and that humanity is fractured. And we have in our mind the reality of what Jesus has done on the cross and the resurrection and that we have been redeemed. And that's where our gospel story ends. It's as though Bell has been freed from the beast and we get to run free. But the question is, what what happens to the rest of the world? See, the reality is, friends, is that you don't live in a two-act story. That's not the story that God is telling. The story God is telling actually has four movements or four acts. The first is creation That actually our story about what God is up to begins in Genesis chapter 1, not Genesis chapter 3. That God creates and it's good. That humanity falls because of sin. That Jesus redeems. But God's work does not end at the cross. It does not end at the resurrection. That God is still up to something in the world right now, today. And if we can't recapture our vision of a four act gospel, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And I think it's going to hurt us as followers of Jesus, as Babette Buster said narrative is our cultural currency. He who tells the best story wins. And I believe we have the best story as followers of Jesus, but our story is not fall redemption. Our story is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That God is still moving and God is still at work in our world. And the end of our story is the the heavens declaring, behold, look, he who's seated on the throne, I am making, God says, I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. So the question isn't just, how do we enjoy salvation? The question must be, for those who follow the way of Jesus, walking in his way with his heart, how do I participate in what God wants to do in restoring his world? That's certainly broken, but that he loves dearly. If you have a Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. I think that the prophet Jeremiah gives us a, a little bit of a picture of what God would have us to do as followers of Jesus as we live in a world that longs for renewal. And if you have your Bible open, Genesis or, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 1, here's what the prophet Jeremiah writes. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, quick time out. Let me give you a little bit of context. If you haven't done your morning devos in Jeremiah lately, okay? So here's what's going on. Jeremiah is living back in Jerusalem, and he's sending word through two men to go and give um, the king of Babylon a letter. But on their way there, these two men are called to stop in this exile camp to deliver a word from God to the people who are in exile. And so imagine that you've been taken from your home. Imagine that you've been distanced from everything and maybe everyone that you love, that people around you speak a different language eat different types of food and have different rituals and symbols and a different entirely different lifestyle and as the people of god you get a letter from god what would happen in your heart probably you'd go you'd lean in a little bit right oh god's going to god's going to move god's going to tell us that he's on our side god's going to god's going to free us god's going to work And it's important the way that we process what we would assume God would say to those in exile because the scriptures would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, that entire letter is written to followers of Jesus and they are called elect exiles. People who aren't quite home, who live in a world that just doesn't quite fit with with their ethos, with their DNA, with their dreams and their hopes, their, their sojourners, their wanderers. They're waiting. If you opened your news app this Friday, you were reminded that you're in exile. Uh, Yet another school shooting. I don't know about you, but but I I just, one, I lament, I, I grieve. And I also, I just, I just, and this isn't a political comment, this is just, I think, reality and common sense that it seems to me like the only non-option should be continuing to do what we're doing because it just doesn't seem to be working. Like, Like, can we get more creative and try to solve a problem that's literally killing our kids? That's a side note. But it was a reminder that this world is not as it should be. So the question becomes, what do you do when you're in exile? What do you do when the world that you live in doesn't quite fit the way that you hope and the way that you dream and the things that you long for and the things that you pray for? What do you do? Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. Here's what you do. Or at least here's what the exiles in Jeremiah's day stuck in Babylon were called to do. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Verse 8, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams that, that you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, this is not what the exiles would have hoped to hear. What they would have hoped to hear is God is on the move and he is going to release you. If you keep reading, he says, I will bring you back, but it's going to be 70 years. Now, let's take a step back from this text and just ask a few questions. Have we heard this story before? Have we heard this commandment from God, plant a garden and be fruitful and multiply? Have we heard it? Yeah, yeah, we've heard it. Where have we heard it? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Right? There is an original commissioning that God gives to humanity. Be caretakers of the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And it's as though God would say to those who are in exile, the world is not the way that they hoped it would be, or the dreams that they have have sort of failed and and gone into oblivion. He's going, I am not letting up on my original mandate for humanity. Continue to work, continue to follow, that there is restoration that God wants to bring about through your life for his world. Every exile has to wrestle with this question. Are we going to throw our hands up in the air and just hope and wait? Or are we going to link arms with what God wants to do in a fractured, broken world? Are we going to be like Belle and run away from the beast? Or do we believe that God has a plan even for the beast? See, the reality is, friends, is we are not, we are not called to be passive observers of reality. We are, however, called to be active participants in renewal. That Jesus did not just save us from something, he saved us for something. And this is the testimony of the scriptures all throughout. In Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll start studying in a few weeks here, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He's saying this to people who are living in the kingdom. You're the light of the world. Don't put your light under a basket. Let it shine, he says. Before that, he's called them the the salt of the earth. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says, for it's by grace that you've been saved. That's through faith. It's not a work and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And he says, not that anyone should boast. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Literally, in the Greek, it's the word poema or poem or song. Like, you are God's poem. You're his song The conductor is moving his church. Are you listening? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So friends, lean in for just a moment. Because the end of the story is not. Aren't you glad that Jesus has saved you? That's part of the story. It's not the end. The end of the story is that Jesus has redeemed you in order to release you to be agents of reconciliation, people of hope, people of love, people who long and fight for justice, people who hold out mercy, people who allow their hearts to get broken with the things that break God's hearts and then assume that God doesn't want us to sit on the sideline and just pray, but maybe assume that God wants us to be the answer to some of our prayers. Thank you. So the question becomes, what is, call, what is this, this calling to be people of renewal? What does it look like? Three things it looks like. It looks like a new vision. It looks like a new attitude. And it looks like a new perspective. A new vision. Look at what the prophet Jeremiah says. Verse 4. And actually, this phrase is going to show up twice. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those, say this with me, church, I carried into exile. He's going to say it again just in case you missed it. He carried them there. And if you're an Israelite and you're going, hey, God, we're like your chosen people. We're we're intended to be a light to the nations. It's really hard to be a light to the nations when we're under the thumb of the nations. How exactly do you want us to work this out? And one of the temptations for religious people has always been to embrace this sort of like us versus them type of an attitude. So typically, what the, what the prophets and the diviners were saying to the nation of Israel in exile was, God's going to get you out. God's going to come and, and he's going to free you and this thing is going to burn down. Justice will be served. Now, does this narrative sound familiar at all? God's going to free you and destroy everything else. It should. It's still a popular um, misconstruction of the gospel in our day and our time right now. No, 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 no. It's not God's going to get you out of this place. It's God's got a plan for you in this place. That's the story that God is telling through Israel. And not only that, but he has a plan for the way that exile will be the crucible for their faith. It'll be the thing that forms them. The disappointing situation. The lack of home and rootedness to just go, oh gosh, we long for you to work, God. Yeah, here's what Jeremiah would say. Here's what God would say to us, to be people of renewal in a place of exile, that instead of longing for a new place, we embrace a renewed purpose. Wherever you are, it may not be your choice, but it is God's place. Let me me say that to you again. Wherever you find yourself, it may not be your choice, but it is God's place. So don't seek to be removed too soon. Seek renewal within Within the marriage that feels broken and irreparable, be a person who says, God, you've got a purpose in this. At the job that just feels like it's not going anywhere, and you just want to continue to move forward and jump to the next thing, don't do it prematurely. Those who flourish in whatever comes next are first those who are faithful where they are and they battle to feel God's presence. And we live in a world don't we where we're always looking for what's next. Like if we're in high school we're looking to graduate from high school. If we're in college we're looking at what's next after we graduate from college. If we got that job after we got out of college we're we're looking for when we can get the next job. If we have the next job we're looking for when we can retire. If we have retired we're going, "Well, now what what sort of what now, God? What do you want me to do now?" And we're always looking for what's next. If we're single, we're looking to be married. If we're married, we're looking about, when when do we have kids? And and if we have kids, we're looking at, um, how do we care for the kids? And then how do we get them out of our house? And then we're thinking about, how do we get them back out of our house, right? (laughs) What if, what if, we were people who said, instead of looking for a new place, we're going to be confident that God has a purpose for us right here and right now. And it may not just be a new place physically. Um, I asked my friend Eddie, he usually sits right down here, nine o'clock hour, and um, Eddie Squire. And Eddie's been, had a difficult life. Um, He was sexually abused as a child by multiple people, multiple times. And his life just a few years ago just sort of hit a brick wall and, and fell apart. And so over the last two years, he's been doing work with God and with counselors to try to repair the broken, fragmented pieces of his life. And along at this same point in time, this Me Too movement just sort of started to rise up in our culture, where there were other people who were saying, I- I've walked that same road and I know that same brokenness. And Eddie started to ask this question, well, Me Too is great, but, then, but what happens after Me Too. Like, like what, where do we people go to, to find healing after they say, yeah, I've been through that dark night of the soul also, what happens now? And Eddie just sensed this prompt from God to start a nonprofit that he's going to call um, Me Too What Now? To try to help people who are coming out of that same place and saying, I've walked that road. Listen, that is not a place that Eddie would ever choose to be. And you're probably in a place that some things in your life where you go, I wouldn't choose this either. The question is not whether you would choose it. The question is how are you going to use it. And how will you partner with what God wants to do to bring about beauty from brokenness? You can check him out on YouTube, Me Too What Now. His organization is just starting to get rolling. It may be more than checking it out. Pray, pray that God would use him to be a voice of hope for many who are still hurting. But God says, I've got you there. You wouldn't choose it. I've got you there. So instead of looking for a new place, embrace a new purpose. And look again at verse five with me. Here's what he says. Build houses and settle down. Like, put the tents away. You're not just camping here. You're gonna be here for a while. Get used to it. Build houses and settle down. Don't you love it? God just says, Selah, chill out, settle down, Israel. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. You know, the soil in Babylon is different than the soil in Jerusalem. Different things grow in Babylon than what grows in Jerusalem. And can you imagine the Israelites tilling that field? And just under their breath, murmuring, I can't believe we're going to have to plant whatever, fill in the blank, right? I can't believe we're going to be eating this. I can't believe we're hearing this language the entire time. I can't believe God wants us to build our houses right here when it seems like there's a better life over there. Why not, God, just come through and rescue us and bring us back? That's what we're really longing for. And what God says instead is, plant a garden, get a Babylonian cookbook, and start getting to work. <laughs> and it's as though God's saying, listen, instead of being a critic, choose to be a contributor. Instead of being a critic, instead of talking about all this stuff that you don't like, choose to be a contributor. I love the way that Eugene Peterson put it when he said this. The aim of the person of faith is not to be as comfortable as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible, to deal with the reality of life, to discover truth, to create beauty, and to act out love. That's good. That's really good. And and so the question becomes, well, Paulson, aren't, aren't we supposed to be critical of some things? And to that I say, well, sure, sure. We're supposed to be discerning. The church is called to be a prophetic voice, that when we see things that do not go in line with the heart of God, we are supposed to speak out and we are supposed to speak up. But look up at me. If all we do is speak, we do not live out the heart of God. So so the church is known to be a clanging gong or a resounding cymbal because love has hands and feet attached to it. We cannot simply say something's wrong and then go, good luck with that. That's called deconstructionism. Deconstructionism is easy. You can do it from a blog. Reconstruction. Bringing hope and renewal is hard work. It's dirt under your fingernails type of partnership with the Spirit. And God does not call us to deconstructionism. He calls us to renewal, to renewal. I was wrestling with this because I'm like, well, planting a garden doesn't seem like all that spiritual of a thing. Like, shouldn't they be out like telling people about Yahweh? And, 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 yet, planting a garden is this partnership with God, isn't it? It's a partnership with, with the dirt that he's given us. The dirt in my backyard doesn't produce anything, but yours might. Okay, <laughs> yours might. It produced one time. It, 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 we planted carrots, and we pulled a carrot out of the ground that was no bigger than a dime. <laughs> so this, this verse I'm applying for you, and you can pray for me as we try to apply it ourselves. But I think it's this very like earthy partnership with God where we take our ingenuity and creativity and God's natural resources and they come together to create something beautiful. And that's what we're called to do all over the place, you guys. We have done a massive disservice as the church in telling you, congregation, that here's the way you serve God. There's three ways you can serve God. You can be a pastor, you can be a missionary... Or you can tell people about Jesus at the job that you have for 40 hours of the week. That's it. And throughout the church's history, we've had a way better story than that. And it's a story that has one word attached to it, and it's the word vocation or calling. Vocation is simply our call to bear the image of God faithfully by living with God for the world. So let me tell you this. If if you have a job that doesn't require you to come to this building or to be a missionary out there somewhere, can I tell you, you still have a mission from God? And it's not just, it is, but it's not just to gather people around a water cooler and tell them about Jesus. It's to do a really good job at whatever you're doing, it's to be an active participant in the common good in society. It's not just gather under water cooler, it's to create space where clean water is more available to more people in the world. Like these are all part of the same calling. And if we sequester life with God to what happens on a Sunday morning or a few little vocations or occupations, we've missed the point. Cuz God would say to you and I all of life. All of life is what he wants from us. Every little piece of your life matters. If you create a business, create a great business. If you work as a school teacher, love people well at school. Teach them whatever subject you're called to teach them and do it in a way that reflects the God who loves you. If you're an electrician, man, don't burn down houses, right? That's part of your vocation. (laughs) But the big idea is, man, how do we, it's so easy to be critical, isn't it? I can find out a 100 things that are wrong way easier than I can find things that are right. And I can find a 100 things that are wrong and find it hard to step into being a solution. I have uh, friends, they were here first hour, you know them maybe, Neil and Hannah Levers. And they started to sense this calling from God a few uh, years ago to be people who would actually, instead of just being critics of the refugee crisis that our world is in right now, and and just newsflash, our world's in a refugee crisis, and instead of just saying, like, this is about politics, they had this perspective that this is about people, and they started to ask God, God, what would you have us do? How would you have us step in, not to be critics, but to be contributors, and I wanted you to hear just a little piece of their story today. This is Hannah and Neil Lever's.
1: I mean, there were 2,500 people in this camp while we were there. Before we were there, in the initial influx of refugees, and even now, there's 7,500 people. So in the same camp, what we saw was 2,500 people. Which was full. There's now 7,500 people <laughs> yeah. there. So so if you look at a map, people are coming from Middle Eastern countries. People are coming from Africa. People are coming. There was even a couple guys from Sri Lanka. There's there was every group of guys that I met from Pakistan. We're in the worst refugee crisis since World War II. The Lord puts something on our heart that we need to step out. Stepping out, the Lord stirs in our hearts, and as we get to see the Lord moving in that, it totally stirs our heart more to to want to do it more. So I'm Neil Levers, and this is Hannah Levers, and we've been coming to South about two and a half to three years, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. It started with taking the perspectives class and there was one guy that came, I think he came from Frontiers, that spoke about um, refugees, I think specifically, right, uh, mm-hmm. along with the topic. Shortly after or before, I don't remember exactly when, in coordination with that, I ended up having a hand injury where I lost portions of my fingers. And that was a pretty, pretty traumatic experience. Through that, God just really showed his presence in my life and being able to have hope through a traumatic situation. Refugees go through really, really traumatic situations. And so that just, God really stirred that in my heart. I want to be able to minister in some form or fashion. And then we ended up going on a trip with Crew, or Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, to Greece. And that happened within a month.
2: My journey was a little different in the sense that I was not as there in the beginning. The Lord wanted me to walk forward uh, with Him, and He changed my heart as we continued walking forward in that way.
1: And definitely, my situation, her situation, is not the same as refugees, and even between right. refugee to refugee or immigrants, their story is not the same either. We can know, even having gone through a difficult situation, that the Lord is present.
2: One time when I was, we were doing the nail polish with the ladies, and most of us were doing just fingernails was one lady, she wanted her toenails polished and there, are um, in sandals, you know, the dirty feet, all that. And I know it's not water, but I felt like the Lord was like, I want you to pray for this lady right now, that, to see this as though you are serving her, as though you are washing her feet and be Jesus to her in that way, even though it was just blue toenail
1: polish. When, when coming back and processing it with the Lord in that month is just really not wanting it to, that to be it. Like I want it to be able to continue.
2: We had friends that were went on the trip with us to Greece that we became friends with while we were over there, and um, they had invited us to come and meet some of the refugees that they have met that are living here in Denver.
1: We didn't know like just the refugee situation coming in to the U.S. in general, as well as specifically in Denver. There's people from all over, right here in our backyard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We got challenged. Yeah. That, that couple actually challenged us to, to be able to co-lead another trip with them overseas. But in addition to that, asking if we would want to get involved with refugees here in Denver. And we just think that's a great opportunity to be able to continue we've learned and then also be able to go on a trip overseas we'll be going to Jordan at the end of June.
2: It's just spending time with them and they want friends just as much as we want friends. They want to be loved and cared for. The ends of the earth are coming here Um, and we've been able to go and minister and we'll again be able to do that when we go to Jordan but also being able to minister to people here. The ends of the earth are here. As I step out in obedience there is a joy that. There, there's no other, I, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it.
1: But it has opened my eyes immensely to a lot more of what the Lord sees. Uh,
0: you know what I love about that story? Um, there's a lot that I love about that story. Here, here's, here's the reason that it gets me jazzed up, is because what did not happen was that Neil and Hannah sort of read a story, and they said, this is something that we should be involved in, and they, they did not come to my office and say, Ryan, um, we need to do this. What they did is they came and met with me and said, listen, our heart is breaking for this, and we want you to walk alongside of us as we step into where we feel like God is calling, and we're not asking the church to create a program. We're, not ask- we're just asking for you to, to support us and pray for us and dream with us about what God might do in this world. And I thought, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of people whose hearts are breaking, whose God's spirit lives inside of them, and they say, God, we want to partner with you in the renewal that you want to bring in your world. We're not going to wait for South Fellowship Church to start a program. We're going to follow the spirit of God. To that I say, yes and amen. Because there's no way, as a church, that we could start programs for everything that you're passionate about that God is calling you to step into. See, our role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and then to release you to say to God, God, what is your spirit uniquely asking us to do in light of this? And we want to move from not a place of criticism, but to a place of contribution. You may not be in the place where you're like Neil and Hannah, that you have the freedom to go and do some of these things, but wherever you are, listen to me, wherever you are, you can make this movement from, I'm critical to, I'm contributing positively to a change. Finally, here's how Jeremiah ends this section. He says this, starting in verse 6. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for yourself and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. See, exile is for increase, not for decrease. Increase in number there. Also, verse 7, seek the peace or the shalom and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. Now, this is a unique vision for how the world comes to a place of flourishing. And as a church, what we should actually really be praying for. Our prayer should be not, God, would you make South Fellowship Church prosper? But, God, we want to see Littleton prosper. We want to see Centennial prosper. We want to see Denver prosper. We want to see Colorado prosper. We want to see the U.S. prosper. We want to see your world prosper because we believe that we are not a disconnected entity from the organism that we call this community around us, but that we are uniquely and distinctly a part of it. So we flourish with it, not apart from it. And what God is doing is he's challenging his people to to slaughter three mindsets that get us stuck the first is tribalism. This is an us versus them. We're going we're to push them down so we can be lifted up. And God goes, that's not the way it works. And the second is individual. So we're just going to focus on us. And the third is narcissism, where we're going to use everybody else to feed ourselves. And God goes, that's not the way that flourishing and renewal works in my economy. And instead of focusing individually, start thinking communally. So here's a really good place to start. What are the issues that you see in, this, in our culture, in our day, in our time, in the place where you live that break your heart? What are the ought nots that you sense, like this ought not be? And then we start praying, God, how would you call me to be? a contributor to a solution. Maybe it's things that are going on in schools or with law enforcement or in healthcare, or wherever your passion is, we start asking this question, God, how can we see our community start to flourish? And then we step in. Can I share one more story with you before we end? Thanks. It was a rhetorical question anyway. Not yesterday but the Saturday before our lobby was packed with round tables and little teacups on them because Royal Family Kids Ministry hosted their annual tea fundraising tea at our church like they always do. Royal Family Kids is a is a ministry that ministers to foster care kids between the ages of 7 and 11. And what they do every summer is they put on a summer camp for foster kids. And they bring people there, and they have sponsors, and they have counselors. And, and for some of these foster kids, it's an eye-opening experience because they've never been in a place with people who are walking through a similar thing. And so they get this, like, this feeling like, I- I'm not in this alone. Like, there's, there's other people who are walking this same road with me. And Randy Bramberg and Janet Bramberg and Gina Higgins have been serving this ministry and partnering with them for over a decade and they've seen amazing things happen. They go to our church and they've seen amazing things happen because they just had this sense like this ought not be, this ought not be. And so we want to partner with God in what he wants to do in the lives of these foster kids. And I asked them what the favorite part of their, this camp was for them and here's what they said. They said they sing a few songs throughout the week, but one of the songs they sing always changes towards the end as they see the kid's spirit start to lift. And they said, here's the lyrics to that song, part of them. Singing about God, they say, I will change your name. You shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. I will change your name, and your new name shall be confidence, confidence. Joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God, and one who sees my face. Friends, that, that's renewal. That's hope. That's people saying, God, this breaks our heart, this breaks yours, and we want to step in and not just, not just pray, although prayer is really, really important, but God, we want to be a part of the good news and great love that you want to bring into the lives of these kids. So how can we play a part? You know what I love is that Randy and Janet and Gina didn't say, "Hey, South Fellowship Church, you should you should start a program for this." There's already a great program for it. But did you know what? It's not the church starting a program. Look up at me for just a second. You are the church. If you start something, if you do something, we do something. Right so it's it's this prayer God we want to be a part we believe your story is four parts creation fall redemption and restoration and we want to play a part in what you're doing in the final two acts of your play with everything that we have The followers of Jesus have had this anthem that's really twofold We want to be people who share the good news that Jesus is king That by his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he has conquered sin and conquered death, and that there is hope in him. We are people who passionately share good news. And we are people who live in every crack and crevice of our lives, in our vocations, in our spirituality, in the way that we live in our homes. We are people, and the church has always been known as people who live with great love. Here's the deal. I did not tell you those stories today for you to go, man, those people are awesome, although I think they're amazing. I told you those stories today to, for you to ask yourself one simple question. God, what stirs my heart that breaks yours? What stirs my heart that also breaks yours? And God, how would you want me to step in to what you're doing in the restoration and renewal of your world? Would you ask yourself that question today? Don't, don't leave without wrestling with it a little bit. God, what's my part in your grand story? Would you stand up with me as we close our time together? I'm going to read a, a statement that my hope is that this would start to These statements at the end of each of these values messages would start to shape our community, but I want to read it first for you and over you, and then I want us to just, we'll close our time by reading it together. So just listen first and let it sort of sink in a little bit. As self-fellowship, we will be a community committed to joining God in his mission of renewal. We will share the good news of Jesus and live out the great love of Jesus. We will work and pray for the good of our homes, our neighborhoods, our city, and world. All right, let's say it together. As South Fellowship, we will be a community committed to joining God in his mission of renewal. We will share the good news of Jesus and live out the great love of Jesus We will work and pray for the good of our homes, neighborhoods, city, and world. To that I say yes and amen. Because the end of the story of Beauty and the Beast is actually the bell gets released and then she comes back. And her love for the beast transforms him to become the prince that he was. May our love for our city Transform it, friends. Jesus, we want to be that kind of people who partner with you, who aren't just passive observers of reality, but that we're active participants in renewal. So, Lord, the things that break our hearts and break yours, would you give us the wind in our sails to step in, maybe in really little ways? Maybe through an encouraging note to somebody, or maybe through financial support of somebody, or maybe it's a trip that we take, or in a ton of different ways, would you give us creativity and how we can step in with the amount of time that we do have? So Lord, we love you, and we are so grateful that this is a four-part story, and we want to be part of your restoration of all things. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen and amen. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today. If you'd like somebody to pray with and for you, our elders and prayer team will be up front. If you're new or newish, we'd love five minutes to just tell you a little bit about South and find out a little bit about you. And if you see the Ascent Project in the lobby or up here, will you just tell them thanks for worshiping with us today and leading us in worship. Thanks, you guys. Love you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. God bless.